This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is January 11th, 2024. I'm Scott Lundeboom. And I'm Ian Bushfield. We're back. Happy New Year. It was a good little break there. It was actually really nice weather in December here in Metro Van. And then today... Well, not if you wanted to go skiing. Yeah, it's now... Well, now we got snow, but we only got two centimeters where I am. Um, I was in Alberta over the holidays visiting family. And it was like 10 degrees with almost no snow anywhere. And I saw a poll that said the two biggest concerns for farmers were the lack of snow, which will lead to drought conditions in the spring, uh, and the carbon tax. So no relation. Really focusing on the short term there. Yeah. And the immediateness of everything. Yeah. It's going to be fun, fun future that we look forward to. Which kind of brings us to the focus of today's show, Reflections and Predictions. We have started the last few years off on this podcast with a suite of predictions and we go back and grade those the following year. So we'll do that and then we'll do like a lightning round of, I don't know what I put in here, like 20 stories that happened in the last month. None are actually that big. We could have stretched some of them to a full segment, but we'll try and keep it. You don't want to spend... uh... 60 minutes talking about uh, Trudeau's vacation. Yeah, let's talk about another vacation scandal and another speaker How scandal. How do these keep happening? He has rich friends. We can talk about it then. Patreon.com slash politicos. Keep us going. We thank everyone who supported us through the holidays into 2024. Let's start with where we thought 2023 was going to go. And we'll start with your predictions. And right off the top, on the Ukraine war, uh, thankfully, neither of us thought it was going to end. Uh, you did think they were going to end the year with more territory than they started with. And I think that's true. Just. Yeah, <laughs> just barely. Uh, this year did not show the same level of success that uh, the previous year's counteroffensive had. Um, according to the Washington Post, they've only retaken about 200 square miles of territory in all of uh, 2023. Uh, this was from uh, early December, so the, when that was reported out, but uh, felt like there's been a lot of changes in the lines since then, so I think that's fairly accurate. Uh, yeah, it's uh, turned into a bit of a stalemate, and in some ways that's not a surprise, considering the uh, fats on the ground there and how... Not enough. The West supplies have been towards Ukraine, but hey, they're getting uh, F-16s in the short term. So maybe actually having some air power will start to change things a bit. At the federal level, you figured the supply and confidence agreement would fall apart. And that did not happen. We have. Yeah, I am. It just held on. You were so close, actually. Yeah, I I underestimated just. how weak the NDP were going to play their hands on this and uh, or how willing they were to uh, go along with like the slightest nod towards fulfilling the stuff there. So yeah, I thought uh, with the liberals in trouble, the NDP would be more willing to play hardball and instead they start off saying they're going to play hardball and very quickly fold every time. So Yeah. Miss that one. I think the strength of Pierre Polyev's conservatives in the latter half of the year, especially, worked against that agreement coming apart. It wasn't in either the NDP or Liberals' best interest to go to an election. And that's the best, I think, analysis, or at least reasoning I can see as to why they're still man friends, as one Kelowna counselor and former conservative MP described them. In Alberta, oh, just a phrasing. It, it was a hell of a column. I'm not going to link to it. In Alberta, we took the same position that the NDP would win the election there. And Daniel Smith wrote it out and is the 
you know, latest conservative to be premier of that province. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> on some level, you should always bet with the fundamentals, but uh, I am perhaps not having fully learned the lessons of 2016. Thought the crazy would stop uh, the electoral prospects of Danielle Smith, and that uh, that did not happen. Though, you know, a few thousand votes and a couple of writings would have uh, changed that. So it could have gone differently, but alas, it did not. Um, yeah, the NDP were looking strong in Alberta in 2022 because the Daniel Smith's win was not clean and it was such a chaotic mess. And Notley's time in opposition was clean, like her time in government, except she didn't have to wear any of the hard decisions. And so going into that election, she did have a lot of strength, but then their platform lacked a real motivation. And it was just kind of like, bring us back, we'll be the moderate, sensible choice. And it's like, that that's a good start. But it didn't versus Daniel Smith was like, they promised to raise corporate taxes, and that will destroy everything. And here's a bunch of random shit. And actually, Smith, Smith cleverly actually shut up about her uh, most crazy stuff. Um, but that not- was also part of the problem is they the NDP never managed to really make as strong an issue of some of the craziest. Like the um, Alberta pension plan thing. Obviously a complete disaster. The initial rollout after that election of trying to uh, go ahead with it went nowhere. Hugely unpopular. Um, then is during the election, they basically, the piece or UCP basically said, yeah, we're, we just don't want to talk about this. That's an after the election thing. And everyone kind of went along with it for some weird reason. So there was, yeah, definitely a, a failure to really make the unpopular positions of them stick. Turns out the death of local news is real uh, and has effects. Uh, you also predicted stonks would go up, specifically the S&P 500 would close higher at the end of 2023 than start of 20. 20- End of and blah, blah, blah. The, the start long, of the <laughs> Yeah, for a long time, it uh, looked like that was also going to be another miss. But uh, thankfully for my por- thankfully for my portfolio, there's a rally at the uh, tail end of the year, and it's uh, closed up. It's actually nearing all time highs. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that for uh, 2024. But uh, yeah, things are uh, looking up if you're. One of the many, many people out there who own an S&P 500 index fund. And this one, I'm not ready to give you credit on. I would actually say you don't. Uh, that the I C- think there's a half point. Okay, we'll there. talk about it. The C- CF35, the F35s and or uh, CSC procurement will be delayed. The, uh, yeah, Canadian uh, service combatant, the new Navy ships. Uh, I didn't look those ones up as closely. So the F35s, I couldn't actually find many stories from this past year. There was a story in early January, January 9th that the government had signed its deal to buy 88 F-35s. Then the only other story really came in November when the Parliamentary Budget Office uh, released its cost estimates for the entire project being $74 billion, I think over its service lifetime, uh, flagging that any further delays could further uh, balloon that uh, cost. And you found one edge of a story. Tail end of the <laughs> right year. At, yeah. at the tail end of the year, where... Uh, yeah, so the uh, U.S. Air Force head of the program uh, was warning the Congress that uh, there are problems with the latest block of uh, the F-35s, and that's likely to delay shipments to allies. This was reported out on December uh, 27th, so not a formal, we have this delayed, but... There's also, you know, reporting of trouble on the horizon that's likely, that's the precursor to a delay. So it's, I think there's a half point maybe there. How are the ships doing? Do you know? Um, They're expensive, but uh, I couldn't find any reporting of a delay that happened this year, just a lot in previous years. A shockingly good year for defense procurement not going badly, at least on the major files. Well, we bought a bunch of new transport planes, too. One of them broke down trying to ferry the Prime Minister back. But at least we've got new planes for that after the old ones were pretty much wearing out. And yeah, there's a few uh, procurement projects that 
aren't entirely a disaster. So yay for small improvements. My first predictions for the year that was uh, looked at America. I predicted there to be a challenger to Joe Biden, someone major, not just Marianne Williamson or some like fringe. Uh, That didn't happen. Uh, Cornell West announced his thing that was kind of has just become an independent bid that's rather unhinged, but he's not seeking the Democratic nomination, which is what I put my flag down on. Yeah, I think the um, like the only way there's really going to be a challenge or a major fight for that is if Biden announced he wasn't going to run or if there is severe weakness that uh, didn't come along this year. I mean, I, going through there, I would have uh, pointed to RFK more than Cornell West. Oh, yeah. They're um, like, they're both nuts and like <laughs> neither of them should be taken seriously. But uh, RFK at least seems to have a little more... Uh, traction so to speak he seems to be sitting more on the republican end these days but it's it's hard to yeah they're both in that weird he's like fighting for what in canada would be the uh green ppc switchers uh it's a mess that does not fit neatly into any uh party thing but yeah the he's one of those like old school big pharma's terrible who um few years back would have been coded as granola lefty and now seems to be uh mainstay gop so who knows speaking of the gop i predicted a DeSantis run against trump which we're seeing i don't think i would have predicted oh, maybe i would have i don't even know the what, like he wouldn't go very well and because yeah. he is a almost comically inept uh person when it comes to displaying any charisma it turns out everyone in the gop except trump is at this point, the party is just his party. So that'll be fun. We'll come to 2024 soon. Uh, I said no federal election this year. That worked out in my favor. Uh, we'd already talked about the supply and confidence agreement. Um, on the provinces, I mentioned Alberta. I also predicted the NDP win in Manitoba. That was a fairly safe bet, I think. But still uh, nice to see. P.I., though, you, uh, you also predicted. Yeah, the progressive conservatives winning out there. Uh, the you Greens also did had not a, get yeah. the official opposition, though. Yeah, which you had predicted. Uh, turns out the PI Liberal Party had a bit of a resurgence. Although, there's another one where the uh, vote breakdown versus uh, seat totals is a little wacky. I'm not going to pretend to understand PEI politics. I just got one thing right. <laughs> uh, I said no BC election. We still have that, like, is there going to be a snap election thing? And it's it's stupid. David Eby has a majority and we're seeing him do things now. So we'll be waiting until October. Uh, And I said we'd still be stuck with having to do daylight savings time changes. And here we are flipping our clocks twice a year and it sucks. So just going to keep putting that on my prediction list until I'm wrong. Well, hopefully you do get that one wrong sooner or later. Hopefully it's all on America these days. Yeah. Well, Thankfully, Congress runs so efficiently that I'm sure that'll get uh, pushed through any day now. Let's go to 2024. Your hopes, dreams, no, wait, just predictions of where we might go. Yeah, so uh, I think it's impossible to talk 2024 without uh, staring at the uh, giant event that will be happening in November, the uh, presidential election. I'm going to... go against the kind of conventional wisdom here, and I think Trump doesn't win. He does not become president. Now, whether that is because one of the many criminal trials uh, goes through and he is in jail instead, or whether or not that is just because enough things go right for uh, Biden and the Democrats. Um, Inflation is now under control. Uh, The economy, by pretty much every metric, is amazing in the u.s but uh voters are a little rational it takes a while there's quite a bit of a lag between what the actual economic indicators are and uh voter sentiment with it so i think with what we're seeing now by the time november rolls around all of the bad feelings about the economy will uh turn to good vibes and that's going to uh help biden plus 
Um, I think Trump's benefited from a lot of that. Like he just hasn't been in the head, in the public view, and all of the craziness has gen and trials and all that stuff has not gotten the play that it will get uh, in the knockdown, drag out presidential fight that will happen in the fall, and that when that does, all of those various legal problems and everything will chip away at uh, the polling he currently is enjoying. Um, Because, yeah, those indictments helped him secure his place within the GOP, which is not great and says some bad things about that party uh, and its base. But um, by all indications, those things make him less popular with the general public. So a year of that is probably going to take its toll. And then a good year of the economy for Biden is... I think going to change the outcome from what people are predicting now. I hope you're right. Uh, I'm going to bet opposite on a lot of the things you're about to say. Uh, And so I'll just jump in with my uh, related predictions as we go. But yeah, I will begrudgingly and disappointingly put my non-existent money on him winning because I think the challenge with the economic numbers is they don't always reflect the the perceived reality that people have in some cases it's real in other cases it's more vibes based but a lot of the money isn't trickling down and so gdp well, can be up without so in the but U- job numbers are good and so job numbers are good and also the segment of the us that population that has seen the highest rate of um, wage gains has been the uh, the lower income segments uh, so i i think a lot of that is more a factor of um, sentiments leg in the uh the fundamentals but we'll so we shall but, see but yeah but yeah facts don't always matter in this let's come back to bc and talk a few predictions here we do have a provincial election this year by the fixed election date law uh i think neither of us are going to predict that eb repeals that and tries to go another year uh and so let's talk the october election what's happening i mean there. They are facing just such an overwhelmingly strong position right now in the polls that, and nothing that looks like it's going to be a major storm cloud on the horizon. So, you know, barring some come from the blue um, scandal that just absolutely wrecks things, which, you know, always a faint possibility, but there's, I, I feel still nevertheless quite unlikely. It's it, he, he more or less has it in the bag, I think, barring some truly unprecedented things happening so uh yeah smart money's on him winning and that's where i'm going to predict agreed same now where i do think the uh election is going to be a lot more interesting is the uh fight for opposition um i i think the conservatives are going to uh put a few wins on the board and i'm gonna uh say they get at least 10 seats probably picking off a lot of the uh, BC United uh, rural seats. Are you calling them for official opposition? No, I, I'm i not sure exactly how far the uh, United's going to fall. I could see them kind of being 10 and you know, 11 to 16, you know, somewhere in there where there's enough, both of them hang on enough that uh, the... BC United still technically's official opposition, but I'm not going to throw down money either way. Oh man, I really hope they have the exact same seat count. That's not what I'm predicting, but it would be very who, funny. Who gets official opposition in that case? I think it's incumbent. I'm assuming. I'm just guessing. I'm going to predict the BC Conservatives flop out this year. Uh, we've seen that in the past. It wouldn't be unpredicted and... So I'm going to go with something falls apart and they end up getting a lower vote percent than the BC Greens. So it's still around that 10 to 12%. Maybe the Greens do a little bit worse. Maybe they do a bit better. That's a little bit of room there. Uh, if they fall out and yeah, not out of the question, I, I think it's probably going to be because they don't get their fundraising in order and they end up just like not having the resources to really fight it out with uh, BC United, which despite having not great fundraisers, uh, still it leaves ahead. And, yeah, it's uh, an order of magnitude more. Like Even if yeah. BC Conservatives have a fantastic few quarters coming up, 
they don't have a chest. They, yeah, so it's going to have to be like a fight in like target ridings rather than a uh, province-wide campaign for sure. Yeah, and so um, I could see the BC Conservatives still taking more seats than the Greens because I don't think that the Greens are going to do particularly well. I don't know that they'll get wiped out or anything, but I think what ends up happening, though, is the Conservatives peel off enough votes everywhere that it spoils a hell of a lot for BC United and they drop below 20 seats. And it's just like an NDP rump on like So basically momentum. 2001 in reverse? Yeah, except it's not a change of government. It's just like the opposition just all fell apart. Wasn't there a New Brunswick election where that kind of happened? There was, I feel like there was in like the 90s when there wasn't even an official opposition. So they had like random backbenchers doing question period or something. Yeah, there was one election in the Maritimes at least where there was no opposition MPs or MLAs at all. I don't think we're going to get that crazy, but... Uh, no, no, that would be wild. At the very least, like, there will be one or two green seats. <laughs> Post-election, though, we both have predictions. Yes. Uh, although, to be fair, this one could even happen before the election, just given how terrible that they are doing compared to where they should be. Uh, BC United's leader is not going to be Kevin Falcon at the end of the year, and may, in fact, be not Kevin Falcon before the election, depending on how things shake out. I would agree. I'm going to go bold and just suggest that all the opposition leaders, if my scenario plays out, plan their resignations by the end of the year. Rustad and Firstenau as well. Uh, this will be Firstenau's second election. And if she doesn't show gains, it kind of goes, well, what are they there for? Like, if she's the only one, she has a good argument to stick around, but they need to do something with that party. Uh, and John Rustad, if the party completely falls apart, I can't see why he'd want to stick around. With the uh, first now, though, it's the Green Party. It's not like they have some great alternative in the wings waiting to take over. And besides, if the Green Party was inclined to uh, dump underperforming leaders, Elizabeth May would have lost her job years ago. It is different people in the provincial and federal wings to some extent. So I'm not saying there's a lot of ambition to be leader. I think she's the least likely to resign, but I just like the uh, symmetry of all the opposition <laughs> leaders looking for new uh, goals. She also feels the least like a career politician of those, perhaps. Although at this point, she's the one who's been in uh, her job the longest. True. Let's look to the other provincial elections coming up, uh, and then we'll come back to some of our other predictions that are on here. There are provincial elections in New Brunswick and Saskatchewan coming up. How are you seeing those go? Um, so with the caveat that uh, I have no insight really into the, uh, or particularly deep insight into the politics of uh, those two provinces. Especially that I lived in one of those a while back. Um, I'm going to nevertheless throw out that uh, there's a change in government in New Brunswick as the Liberals uh, win there, but uh, the Sask Party is going to hold on in Saskatchewan because, well, it's Saskatchewan, and uh, you know it makes uh, the Conservative hold on Alberta uh, look positively fragile by comparison. I'm going to agree with you in New Brunswick and go the other way on Saskatchewan, which I think is a bold unlikely, but if I can get this prediction, I'll be super proud. Uh, what's interesting about these two provinces is these are the two provinces where we saw premiers in the last year test the waters around these policies around pronouns in schools to varying levels of success. And we saw a bit of that with the outgoing PCs trying to play culture issues in Manitoba, and it backfired hard on them. Uh, they were already falling there, so I think that was more of an ugly last-ditch effort. But in New Brunswick, it has the same kind of energy where they're struggling and it's dividing their own caucus. I don't think the Saskatchewan parties is divided about it, but I think there's less of an interest in the broader public to just fight on culture things than to actually get to bread and butter issues. And if the Saskatchewan NDP, who I don't have much confidence in, <laughs> kind of like the Alberta NDP, <laughs> given their recent records... Um, I think the Alberta NDP is a lot stronger party. <laughs> They've had one government in the past 40 years. The Saskatchewan NDP has had more than that, but not in the past 
25. <laughs> I have to look at the exact dates, but the Saskatchewan NDP is the OG. They used to win a lot. Um, they can maybe rebuild one day. And it always feels like they're just on the cusp of doing it. So I'm just going to say maybe this is the time. This is their lucky year. Because there has been discontent with the Saskatchewan uh, party at times. Um, but, you know, as long as Trudeau's prime minister, maybe there's enough hatred of Ottawa that they can unite around that. Well, speaking of Ottawa, how do you think uh, federal politics is going to go this year? Oh, I'm not seeing a federal election come up. I think at this point, they're like, there's a higher chance this year than there was in this past year. But I think at this point, the two parties really want to stick it out for 2025. Um, I could see the conservative polling leads start falling, maybe even be gone. I don't know who comes up neck and neck with them. Uh, or maybe it just goes to a three-way race between the NDP block or NDP conservatives and liberals. Um, but yeah, we'll be coming back to this conversation next year. Yeah, I also don't think there's going to be a federal election. It's the like the only scenario that I can see making any sense for them to pull the plug and go early uh, is for the liberals to try and be clever and capitalize on what's going on in the U.S. to try and do the uh, standard thing of painting the conservatives. This is the same as the GOP. Um, hey, I don't think it's going to work this time, but I should. That's like the one thing I could see them trying to do. Um, and of course, there's always the like outside potential of new scandal makes their confidence supply partner uh, get cold feet. Um, but I think both of those are less likely than just just not going to be a federal election. Uh, I am going to uh, say that the conservatives are going to end the year leading the uh, liberals by at least five points which is probably, a, if anything, maybe a little conservative <laughs> on just how big the spread's going to be. You also have a couple uh, economic predictions that I'm not going to touch on because I don't care as much, frankly. No offense. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm going to repeat my uh, stock market prediction that uh, the S&P 500 is going to close up. Uh, great thing about this one is in about 80% of all years, it ends up, up closing high. Or then it started, so uh, yeah, smart money's on that. Uh, I also think there's probably going to be an interest rate cut by the uh, bank account at some point during the year. Uh, inflation's getting under control. The uh, the economic numbers have not been good, um, which goes to my next uh, one. But uh, I think as a result, there's going to be a rate cut uh, to basically try and rebalance the fight in the inflation issues versus general economic growth. Um, I feel like they've already teased that it's going to come in the first quarter. It's a safe yeah, one. Yeah, like it's, it's it is not a prediction that I am alone in making. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Um, and the other one, which is more pessimistic, is that... Uh, Per capita GDP in Canada, it's the same or declines over the year. Man, that's going to depend so much on uh, immigration numbers because that denominator is really going to mess with that. Well, that's the thing is like, so th that's actually the thing is like over the past, uh, I believe the data has shown that basically per capita, Canada has not grown its economy at all since uh, 2019. And, you know, big disruption in the middle there, kind of understandable. Problem is, a lot of our peer countries have, in fact, uh, grown their per capita GDP. That uh, great economic picture coming out of the states—that's uh, very different than Canada's in terms of uh, the per capita GDP growth. Um, and a lot of that's been masked. And the reason we haven't had a recession, uh, technically defined as two consecutive negative uh, quarters of GDP growth, is because that denominator is being shooting up and kind of mechanically that's lifted up GDP quite a bit, even as individual, like per person, Canada's not really gotten any richer uh, in the past four years. And I think there's a good chance that that's going to continue into next year. And stonks still go up. Well, I think, well, I predict the S&P 500, that's an American index. So 
that one's going to go up. The uh, TSS, a eh, little less confident. Fair enough. That. And my final prediction is that we're still going to change the damn clocks. <laughs> yeah. It's... Like, maybe we'll get lucky and the law ch- in the States changes next year for the following year. But that's like best case scenario. Maybe. Covered a lot there. Let's jump into the capturing lightning from the sky and running it through copper wires to power light bulbs in the terminology of Per Polyev. If you missed that, uh, I'll... I did not watch that video. <laughs> it, it's a weird to. saying that he has used on four separate occasions, and that's basically the story. Uh, huh. No one, no one's 100% sure why. Uh, no one knows where that terminology comes from, but apparently that's what he has said electricians do. Flare for language, with lightning round is what this is. Let's start here in BC. A few announcements was the big kind of thing that happened over the December. Uh, I talked about this on Cambi Report with Matthew, but the policy manual and regulations for the raft of housing bills came out in early December. Um, not a lot political in there, more of just like, here are the tools to help municipalities do the housing they're supposed to. We've seen a lot more pushback since then. A few mayors have written op-eds about it. There's been a few different angles of people complaining about the short-term rental regulations, for example. Um, Nothing's really stuck, but there's a lot of, there's more grumbling than there was when the bills were being initially introduced, because I think they kind of shock and awed everyone. I mean, of course the mayors are going to complain, but so what? Like, if they had done a good job, this wouldn't have been necessary. And, you know, as we've talked about so many times, the the incentives are fundamentally misaligned at the local level, so yeah, it's going to happen. There's not much they can do about it. The NDP is in such a strong position; they can continue to basically push ahead, and it is a broadly popular package of reforms. Like pretty much every bit of polling shows that uh, various pro-housing measures are overwhelmingly popular. It's just a few. They're popular in the abstract, but it'll be curious to see how things roll out over the coming months in the tangible as these individual city halls have to start debating things. Because right now they're still in the, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. And it's like, you knew it was going to be a lot of work back in October. What the f*** have you been doing? So they've just given you a policy manual you can use as a shortcut uh, for this. Um, But yeah, those don't have to roll out till um, most of them are Canada Day. So that gives them a bunch of time. And even then, it's still abstract stuff. Um, you know, nobody's actually going to see the uh, changes on the ground until late next year at the earliest. Um, so it's, yeah, in terms of what the next year's worth of politics looks like, it's going to be a bunch of whining from the cities and a bunch of contentious stuff there. But provincially, I don't think it's going to matter. At all. On the uh, toxic drug crisis, there were a few major stories. The chief coroner, Lisa Lapointe, announced that she is retiring. Uh, she's not taking up another term. Granted, she's been in the role quite a while. And so I don't think there's any like scandal here. Uh, but she is leaving uh, disappointed and blindsided, as I think Vaughn Palmer wrote, sort of frustrated by the increasing deaths from unregulated drugs. Uh, the December update was that we're up to seven people dying a day. Uh, Amid that background, the uh, other major story for the province was that its uh, bill they brought in in the fall to try to further regulate drug use around in public spaces, playgrounds around um, property entrances uh, and others and gave police additional powers was uh, enjoined, was advocates want an injunction blocking it so it will still be heard on the constitutional grounds but the law is not enforceable now um that's become its own political story that we're going to have to be coming back to indeed yeah if you had some uh choice words about that ruling which is yeah going to be interesting to see how it plays out for sure um but uh by all indications that the government's likely to yeah, right now it's just an injunction ruling, so it's not even the main thrust. Uh, appealing an injunction would be weird, given they still have the full 
thing, but I guess it depends how urgently they want that in place. Uh, the other story that came kept coming up in increasing frequency, even in the last week, is trucks are hitting bridges a lot in this province. Yeah, it seems to be picking up in pace too. There's what two today, yep, <laughs> alone, which is yeah a little nuts for sure. And um, like one of the it, like you know it's bad when I think it was Global that had this had had in their headline reset the counter. Like it's become a joke that uh, headline writers and the media in general is now just comfortable running with which I think says more than anything about kind of just how prevalent it's gotten. Recently. I don't actually know how much the rate has changed versus now we have the recency bias and it's just become like a prominent story. So every time it happens, is going to make another headline versus it might've been a minor blip a year ago. But one of the major things that came out was the province did suspend the carrier license for Chohan Carriers, a trucking company that had something like 20 or 30 trucks on the road. Uh, but then a week later, they reformed under an Alberta company and had their trucks back on the road. So uh, everyone's mad. And with, with all of the interprovincial trade barriers, the fact that this gets through is kind of wild. But yeah, like you, you think there would be some sort of. They found a loophole like, to it, fit through when they know, can't when fit under bridges. But, but when, when professionals fill out the application to get a professional license in a new province, one of the questions they ask is, have you ever had a license suspended in another jurisdiction? Um, kind of weird that trucking companies don't have to a answer it the question. It might be that question. they, I forget the exact details, they may have just used a company that was already licensed in Alberta, but uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so like a subsi subsidiary it's or bad. something. But still, it's bad. It's, it's uh, yeah, one other story came up today that the, and this is just funny, I wouldn't have put it in if this was even a week ago. The fast ferries uh, are on sale on Facebook Marketplace of all places. Uh, the owner has them. They are sitting in dry dock in Egypt right now. They were bought by the United Arab Emirates a few years ago. It turns out they're not good for uh, Middle Eastern waters any better than they are for the Georgia Strait or the Salish Sea. Um <laughs> He's just desperate to not see them destroyed. So if you have $15 I mean, million, you can have them all, <laughs> which is a steal. You know what they should use them for is uh, I was going to say they should the use Red them sea. to beef up BC Ferry Service uh, with all the struggles it's been having. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the NDP has touched that one. Uh, finally, I wanted to touch, at least here in BC, I just want to plug the story I put out on our website blog. Uh, the province had its second unexplained wealth order in early December, and there was a lot of coverage of the first one. The second one didn't get as much so, but I thought when I pulled the court records, it was a fascinating story of how the son of Bob Marley worked with this guy to start a coffee company using his father's uh, branding, Bob Marley Coffee Company, uh, uh, called, uh, what was it, Java... Jam and Java and the Marley Coffee. The guy, the CEO of, of the company then ran a pump and dump scheme to, to basically like make a bunch of money off the stock prices. I have the details mostly sorted out in the article. Uh, one of the beneficiaries of that, uh, actually a number, hid money in an account run by a then lawyer in Vancouver. And that lawyer was later disbarred by the law society as like the first time they've ever fired a lawyer for money laundering. Uh, the SEC came down on everyone involved in this. The guy they're taking the money from, uh, he came to a settlement agreement. This is Kevin Miller. And he is now off on the other side of the world. And there's still about $3 million in this account that is, it's pretty clear was gained in this illegal scheme. Um, but because he settled with the SEC and didn't admit fault, he wasn't charged with anything. And so this is like exactly the perfect thing for an unexplained wealth order to actually do quickly. Because right now the law society is actually trying to get the money out of the trust accounts, but it's taking a while and the guy has the ability to argue that it 
still his and the government's like, screw this. This is clearly fraud money. You can't have it back. And it was a fun story to dig through one afternoon for me. And it kind of goes against the grain of the initial concerns about the unexplained wealth orders being used in a very abusive process. Because this is hard to, it's really hard to feel sorry for this uh, guy who scammed $3 million and allegedly, I mean. <laughs> yeah. So the thing about those sorts of potentially problematic ones is it's re- they usually pick the low hanging fruit first. It's kind of what happens five to 10 years from yeah, now. Yeah. And I looked into these the BC civil asset that, forfeiture uh, stats and they have seized a lot of bicycles and small amounts of cash among many other things. And it's like, is that the best use of that program? Like taking 500 bucks from someone or less? Like, sure, maybe it's drug money, but also like, who cares kind of situation. At this case, at least, you know, $3 million is going to help. My favorite part here was actually the testimony of this lawyer when he was being disbarred. He was like, I didn't want to let the SEC know about these accounts. Otherwise, it might adversely affect my clients because they would take that money too. So many layers to that story. Let's jump federal. A few things came out from the federal government in December. Possibly the biggest was the full details of the dental program. This is what the NDP... Were there, were there any new in there? Like Most of it looked very familiar. It's more the timelines are actually coming out and the like specific announcements. So the broad uh, scope of it, the, you know, you have to be under 90,000 in income or under 70,000 for no copays. Yeah, that was all like pre-announced, but the, you know, nuts and bolts of what day will this start applying? And now we have dates like March, 2024, some seniors will start getting it. Um, how dentists will actually get paid. The fee schedule is coming out, although that's going to vary province by province. Um, so those kind of things have come out. And that, you know, is a big headline story for national news, even though there's very few people who were hard against the dental care program. Uh, the federal government also sped up its EV targets with the goal of 100% new car sales as electric vehicles by 2035, which we, I think, previously been looking at 2040 or 2045 even. So we sped that up at least. Which I believe puts it a little more in line with BC's one, so it shouldn't really affect British Columbians much Yeah, BC is ahead of the, most of the country on EV sales because we've had our own incentives, we've had our own targets for a while, um, and this brings the rest of the country along. And it will be a little bit harder for the rest of the country, actually, because so many of the EVs that are being produced are just being sent to dealerships out here and Quebec, and so getting... Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario up to the same level uh, is going to be the real challenge. But Well, I, I hear there's a uh, $13 billion battery plant being built out there. So. I also heard talks of yeah, a, knows? Was it Honda or some other major automaker was looking at possibly doing another EV plant in Canada. It's probably not Honda. They, for some reason, don't seem to have very good EV offerings. They got really bit by the Insight. No, it is Honda. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird. So I remember looking like a couple years back at what their EV offerings were. They were well, they need a new factory. Not great compared to large. Yeah. I guess so. Speaking of international issues, uh, we kind of teased this a little bit, but one of the challenges Canada's been facing in the last year has been the like record immigration and the strains that may be putting. And one of the stories that was percolating, I think we touched on a couple times last year, was this of international students in particular and the numbers. And we finally saw immigration minister come down with some new requirements. Uh, basically, that now instead of having to have $10,000 in your pocket, you now have to have 20000 I think it's 654 or something like that. And that will be indexed to inflation. As a way to discourage people who are like on that financial edge from coming and then realizing they can't afford to live here because it is more expensive than many people are being told. Uh, Not that 20000 gets you very far these days. No, it doesn't. But it's more than ten, and it, yeah, it will 
yeah, you raise the price of something, you lower the number of people that will uh, demand it. So it will have an effect. It doesn't necessarily solve the issue of the exploitative uh, diploma mills that are running around the country. Um, but it's a start and a recognition that there's some issues here. Uh, but I'm sure we'll be coming back to this. Looking ahead, Justin Trudeau says he is, in his year-end interviews, eager to run again. He easy though. I don't know. He says there are threats to the progressive agenda. He like it's kind of the interview that you always say, unless you are officially stepping down, you're always going to say you are running again. But you know, he did give some like focus of I want to keep fighting these fights and fulfill the promises I've made to young people. Not on there's unfinished business, which I am like not clear exactly what that's supposed to mean because. They have basically spent the last year doing pretty much nothing and are kind of, well, it's still not true. Sean Ferris has been out cutting chats very effectively. But um, in terms of like big pushes or anything, this government has all the signs of one that ran out of ideas sometime in 2021, if not before, and is basically going on momentum now more than anything. And yeah, I just don't know what that unfinished business that's. Uh, he's actually talking about he could this. go back and actually finish more of the truth and reconciliation commission's calls to action the yellowhead institute was tracking progress on those up until this past year when they finally said this is too depressing we quit this project it will take literally a hundred years at the rate we're going and possibly eternity so there's work to be done there <laughs> But they don't, as you say, don't seem eager to do it. Uh, he did seem eager to go on a nice vacation as we got another story of the prime minister going on a luxurious vac- holiday vacation, this time to Jamaica to stay at, uh, who was it, Peter Green? Peter, yeah, Green. Uh, uh, all expense paid by his friend. Uh, actually, the government did have to send a second plane when the prime minister's plane broke down. And now the conservatives are calling for an ethics probe into why this prime minister keeps having rich friends invite him down to holiday villas in very nice, warm places. It's been nice to be prime minister. You get to have all these new friends that uh, are just very, very generous. I mean, the, the plain thing... I don't think there's much to be made of it. Um, the only reason it even got any play is that uh, a previous plane had broken down at an inopportune time. Yeah, in terms of vacation, then, though, I actually want to link this back to the last thing we were talking about. If Trudeau's really intent on running again and you know, giving the next election is all, he is not showing it here. Like, if you want to win, you, you don't let uh, unnecessary shots get put on your net. And that is exactly what this is. Like, there is no way they PMO could not have known this would become an issue. Um, it, like, plays right into a previous quasi-scandal ethics probe situation. It's um, just, like, not a good look to be basically going on what was an $80,000 vacation. Um, when people across the country are struggling to pay their bills and whatnot. And the the interesting thing isn't what happened, it's that they let it happen. And whatever this says about the, the government, their political instincts, and whether they're actually willing to uh, fight the next election the way it needs to be fought, if they're going to have a hope to uh, win it, none of it's good. Indeed. Uh, The other controversy they managed to survive was the speaker, Greg Fergus. I think we talked about this just before we took our break. He had given a recorded a holiday greeting or a greeting to the Ontario Liberal Party from inside the speaker's office, which is a misuse of parliamentary uh, resources and the office. And so he faced calls to resign. There was a whole ethics MP investigation into this and the committee ultimately kind of slapped him on the wrist for it and voted that he could keep his job, although the conservatives were still quite outraged, as opposition often is. 
but the NDP, I think, was willing to forgive and forget on this one. It's like still not great. Yeah, I guess to keep his uh, job, but you know, the speech is also the referee, and if you are the referee, it's not just enough that you uh, call the plays fairly. You, you do need to be seen to be calling everything fairly and not being a partisan, and that's yeah, a weird quirk of the system that uh, someone who comes from a partisan background gets placed in this position, but they're they're supposed to basically do everything they can to put that aside, and by doing this video, uh, Greg Fergus did not do that, and yeah, they, they may have found that the breach wasn't sufficient to uh, require him to step down, but the... Um, the intangible credibility on all of this will have weakened him and it's uh, and have been diminished and that is probably going to have lingering effects yeah you know, if you thought parliament was rowdy before um a speaker that is lost respect of his colleagues is going to have a harder time pushing back against that his defense was always along that he was new to the job and just made a honest mistake. And I mean, it's a mistake. Former speaker turned leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and now just MP Andrew Scheer also made by filming a partisan video in his parliamentary office that led to him having to do a $500 reimbursement. Uh, funnily enough, at the same time as Greg Fergus was getting wrapped in the media and parliament for this. So like, yeah, I agree that Fergus is, is more egregious given the specific office, but Shear also should have known better. And finally, to end the show just today, it was announced that Ed Broadbent, former, former leader of the NDP federally, has died. Um, he was, a, you know, one of the top most famous leaders of the NDP. Obviously, Tommy Douglas and Jack Layton are up there, but like Ed Broadbent was such a powerhouse in the 1980s. and continue to be such a voice in you know the left movement in canada and the ed broadbent institute is the like ndp think tank these days so uh a voice that we're seeing a lot of respect pouring out for and he will be missed even if you didn't agree with him politically yeah i did see quite the outpouring from across the aisle today after the news broke and uh yeah, we'll def he'll definitely be missed. And that has been Playtoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playtoast.ca. Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash playtoast. Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Sir Plotnikoff. Playtoast is a production of Legend Boot Media, and editing services are provided by CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening.